0: It's always interesting to me how God brings exclamation points to messages that I'm preparing for, and a lot of times He'll do it in the midst of preparation, and He did just this past week. As so I was going through a lot of different things getting today's sermon ready, I got a text from a man who's been going through a difficult season in his life. That's the best way to say it. It's, it's been very dark, very hard for him. He's almost through it, not all the way, but he's almost through it. And he's at a a new place in that season where he's able to say he is closer to the Lord than he has ever been in his life. And so there's an appreciation, even in the midst of the darkness, for the relationship that is not just growing. It is certainly not forming. It's been there for a long time, and it's not just growing. It is solidifying within him. So in his text, he's communicating to me how happy he is to be walking with the Lord the way he is right now, even in the middle of a difficult, dark season. At the end of his text, he asked this question, how do I make sure this never goes away? It's a good question. How do I make sure this never goes away? So I responded via text, certain things that really are none of your business, but then I I said... Turn to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter has some answers for you. And what I wanted him to see particularly was a progression of spiritual discipline, spiritual teaching that Peter lays out for us that does exactly what he was asking. It ensures that we never lose that closeness. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to what he writes. And knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal, or an entrance, I'm sorry, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love the way Peter gives us such a practical approach to assurance. You start with your faith. And then you begin adding things to it. And once you are fully ensconced in that new thing that you're adding to your faith, add the next thing. And once you are wrapped up tightly in that, add the next thing. And he says that it is this ongoing progression that keeps us from ever being ineffective and unproductive in our service to the Lord. Love that Peter does that, it is so practical and so helpful. Now, prior to that, in the great apostle's letter, he lays out some things for us that we need to see about God so that God can help us do exactly what we're talking about, add those things to your faith. Now, here's what I mean. If you go back to verse 3, he starts out with His divine power, Now, that's talking about God, not about us, that's talking about God. And then Peter will go on in the next three verses to give us two other attributes of God that come together to give us a whole picture of who the Lord is. And when we understand in its entirety who the Lord is, then our walk with the Lord will be tied tightly to Him. Peter's not the only one to do that. There are other places in Scripture that teach us the exact same things, the attributes of God that we need to know that we need to hold on to, and once we know them and grasp them, our faith is immovable. I want to show you one of those other places this morning in the book of Philippians. The apostle Paul talks about this. Peter talks about this. Pay attention. These are the great apostles, the tips of the spear. When they talk about things like this, we need to sit on the edge of our chair ready to grasp what they have for us. Join me in Philippians chapter 4, and I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. Now, Peter just talked about the divine power. We, we called that one out, and he talks about these two other attributes. But let's go to Paul's teaching so that we can see these other two as they come to the top. And we'll also look at what Paul says about God's divine power. So we're in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 10. And in just this one verse, we're going to see an often overlooked characteristic of God, and it should not be overlooked. Here we go. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, before we get into this attribute, let's get a little bit of context, because context is necessary here. Back in the book of Acts, Paul met this church in Philippi. Philippi was the capital city of the region called Macedonia. In Acts, you can read about some things that happened there. Paul actually ended up in jail. There were all kinds of different things that happened while he was in Philippi. So many things happened that the leaders of that region said to Paul, we would just assume you leave. Get out of here. We don't want you around. You are stirring things up leave and they didn't mean just leave philippi they wanted him out of the entire region they wanted him out of macedonia they wanted him out of the entire country this greek country so paul left out of deference to him he left that meant that he had to leave other churches behind like the church in thessalonica the church in berea places that he loved paul left when he did he headed back to jerusalem When he got back to Jerusalem, the church in Philippi, and only the church in Philippi from the region of Macedonia, sent him money to support his ministry. They treated him like a missionary. If we skip ahead in Philippians chapter 4 to verse 14, you can get a little bit of context that helps understand all this. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, still in Macedonia, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So Paul says, you're like the only partners I had. You're the only people that were sticking with me. But back in verse 10, he says that they had concern to continue giving, but they had no opportunity. Now that's this interesting little glimpse into something that was going on that does require context in order to understand depth. Here's what happened. When he was in Jerusalem and the church in Philippi was sending him gifts, they did that as long as they knew where he was at. But then Paul got arrested in Jerusalem. He was sent to jail, and a long journey to Rome commenced. It took two years, two years before the church in Philippi found him again. And when they found him, their concern was actually realized through their ability to start supporting him again. Now, this is where this gets really cool, and this is where the attribute of God kicks in. When their concern and their opportunity came together, it was at a time when Paul needed it desperately, and that's how God responds. Now, you might be thinking, what are you talking about? Well, let me show you. For that, we've got to go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, verse 30. Now, remember, this is where the church in Philippi found Paul again, after two years. Paul is in prison in Rome. From Philippi to Jerusalem, tough things happened. But from Jerusalem to Rome, really tough things happened. There was a storm at sea. Paul was on a ship There was a shipwreck that ended up putting him on an island. There was an incident with a snake that he had to deal with. There was political uprising. There was some cool gospel preaching, but Paul was still a prisoner. When he got to Rome after all of that difficulty, this was the crowning touch to all of his struggles. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense in jail. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, Paul was allowed in Rome to stay on house arrest, but he was still a prisoner, and he had a guard chained to him all day long and all night long, chained to him. At least four times a day, they changed guards. Paul had to pay all the expenses in order to stay on house arrest came out of his wallet. It's not enough for him to be imprisoned, but he gets to pay his own expenses too. Isn't that cool? And now the church in Philippi, who had this ongoing concern for Paul, but no opportunity to bless him financially, reconnects with him when he's a prisoner in Rome and starts sending money to him to help pay his expenses. So if you're a, a note-taker, you may want to write in the margin of your Bible, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, because that's exactly what it's talking about in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. That's exactly what it is talking about. Now they have renewed their concern, though it really never diminished. They just renewed it with opportunity, and they were meeting Paul's need. In the process of all of that, we learn this really cool attribute of God called the providence of God. Here it is, providence of God. In modern teaching, modern Christianity, this characteristic and attribute of God seems to have been removed from our vocabulary. Nobody really talks about it anymore. 30, 40 years ago, all the time we would say things like this, in the providence of God. Lord's going to take care of this in His providence, in His abilities. And that's what providence really is. Providence means, here it is, God sees to it beforehand. That's what the providence of God is. God sees to it beforehand. God was already orchestrating everything before it ever happened. That's the providence of God. But we have removed this attribute from modern Christianity, and nobody really knows why. The best guess theologians and scholars have for why nobody really wants to talk about the providence of God anymore is because of postmodern culture. Postmodernists don't want God to have this type of authority. So we just remove all teaching about the providence of God from our vocabulary. We don't even talk about it anymore. And what a tragedy. Because when you understand the meaning of the word God sees to it beforehand, whew, there's peace in that. God's got it worked out. God's already taken care of it. I don't need to worry. I don't need to be anxious. Because God saw to it beforehand. Now, in order to understand what providence really is, you have to understand, I have to understand what providence is not. Providence is not this. God knows beforehand what's going to happen. That's the modern teaching about providence today. That's not accurate. Providence means God saw to it before it ever happened. God had already worked out the details. God had already taken care of it. We have just tried to morph any type of modern teaching that we hold on to about the providence of God into the foreknowledge of God. They're two different things. The providence of God says God sees to it beforehand. And that's what Paul was talking about. If the Philippian church hadn't risen to the occasion, God would have worked it out. Paul would have been able to pay his own expenses because God wanted Paul to preach in Rome, even under guard, he wanted him to be out there able to do what he was doing. The Lord just gave opportunity to the church in Philippi when it was desperately needed. That was God's ability to take care of Paul. Does that make sense? Shake your head yes. I love the way Warren Wiersbe talks about the providence of God. He said it is the working of God in advance to arrange circumstances and situations for the fulfilling of his purposes. There's a 19th century historian, that means back in the 1800s, that captured this idea so beautifully. Take a look at this. History, when rightly written, is but a record of providence, and he who would read history rightly must read it with his eyes constantly fixed on the hand of God. That's the providence of God. And that is true of national history, that is true of biblical history, and that is true of personal history. We must keep our eyes focused on the hand of God. Because by doing that, understanding the providence of God, it allows us to look back at what God has already done so that we can look forward to what God will do. It is a faith-building attribute of God that helps us grow in our trust of Him and it leads us to a place of calm and peace like few other things. God's got it. He had it before I was ever born. God had this worked out long before this situation ever occurred. God will see to it ahead of time. Providence of God. There are other places in Scripture that teach this. Don't think this is just something that we're yanking out of a hat. It is anything but that. Paul would actually teach the believers in Mars Hill on the providence of God with words like this in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. For in Him we live and move and have our being. That's the providence of God. Back in the book of Genesis, Abraham would acknowledge the providence of God with words like this. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham, when he went up on that mountain to sacrifice his son, knew that God would provide the sacrifice. No matter what God asked of him, he knew the Lord would provide. Provide. All the way to the point of laying his son on the altar and binding him, ready to plunge a knife into him. He followed through in faithfulness, trusting God until God stayed his hand and provided a ram. Abraham said, the Lord will provide. Psalmist understands the providence of God. In Psalm chapter 32, verse 8, he writes, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God guides our steps. He guides our steps. And in Romans chapter 8, a very popular verse, verse 28, Paul gives us confidence in the providence of God. Listen to this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. That's the providence of God. It is all through Scripture. Don't let modern society and culture rob you of this deep understanding of who the Lord is. You need to be able to trust this. Well, that sets the stage for us to be able to trust how Peter started in 2 Peter chapter 1, his great teaching that we looked at just a few minutes ago. The divine power of God follows the providence of God. So we already looked at providence, here it is now, attribute number two, the power of God. The power of God. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 4 so that you can see how Paul talks about this. If you are a bold note taker in your Bible, then let me encourage you to circle two words. Now I'll give them to you in just a minute. Let's go through this first and then I'll give you the words. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I have always struggled, and it's a little hard to actually acknowledge this to you as a preacher, but I have always struggled with verse 13. Because we tend to make it a proverb verse, and it was never intended to be a proverb. It was never intended to be a standalone verse that has its own wisdom wrapped up solely in that one verse. It isn't a slogan type of verse that we can just throw out to somebody and say, just listen to this in Scripture. It requires context. It requires the verses before it in order to make sense. Verse 13 reads like this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that's been printed on posters, it has been tattooed on bodies, it has been used over and over and over again, and in my estimation, oftentimes out of context. And that's always been my struggle with it. And I've struggled to reconcile it until this last week. When I determined to myself, I am 52 years old and I've struggled with this forever, it is time to reconcile this verse so that I'm never guilty of using it solely as a proverbial teaching as well. I want to get to the bottom of it. So I went digging. And as I went digging, I found what I was looking for. The answer lies in the use of this word twice. The word learned. Now, like I said, if you're a bold note taker, Circle that word in your Bible twice. It's found in verse 11, and it is found in verse 12. I read this out of the English Standard Version for you just a few minutes ago, and that's the version that I was studying when I started this exploration. Then I went to the New International Version, which is my default version, and I wanted to see what it said. In the New International Version, it uses the same word, learned, twice. It's not inaccurate, not in the English Standard or the New International Version. My third stop, and usually when I'm looking in different translations, I follow this progression. I go from the English Standard Version to the NIV to the New American Standard Version. In the New American Standard Version, these same verses use the same word, learned. I checked out a couple of other kind of goofy outlying versions to see what they had to say. Every one of them, same thing, used the same word, learned. And then I did what I should have done early on. I went to the old King James. I don't like going to the old King James because it's hard for me to read. I don't speak King James English. And so reading the King James version of the Bible is difficult for me. For some of you, it is not. God bless you. For me, it is. And so it's always kind of a last stop. I don't go there as often as I should. But in this particular case, I am really glad I did. Let me show you what I found. Take a look. Verse 11 in the King James reads, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, there's our word, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer in need. Verse 12 has a different word, instructed. Now, in the original language, when I said that there's no interpretation problem with using the word learn twice in this passage, I mean it. To interpret it that way, according to the the scholars that I trust, there is no problem with it. But this is just a little deeper and a little more accurate. Because in the original language, the word instructed, and they are two different words Even in the original language, learned and learned that we see in the ESV, two different words. So in the King James, we see learned and instructed, yet they can be interpreted as learned and learned. In the original language, the word instructed carries this meaning to be initiated into the secrets, to be initiated into the secrets. In verse 11, that word learned that we just saw means exactly what we think it does. It's educational. We've learned. This is a little different, a little more mysterious. Cause caused the Bible nerd in me to just go crazy to be initiated into the secrets. I've been initiated into the secrets of God. So I want you to listen to this, utilizing that definition. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have been initiated into the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. And back in verse 11, Paul would say, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He's been initiated into the secrets that have led to contentment. And now verse 13 comes into play. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's the secret. I've been initiated into this secret. Now, by looking at it this way, here's what we do to this verse that we have misused all these years. It isn't about you. It isn't about me. We start this verse out, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And instantly, because the way the verse starts, this is where the proverb part of it comes into play. We think it's about us. It's never about us. I've been initiated into the secrets. It's about God. It's about God. It's about what He can do in me and through me. And when I rely on Him, what can happen? It's not about me. We might do well to actually read this verse this way. I can do all things in Christ which strengthens me. It's about the relationship. The relationship strengthens me so I can face whatever I have to face. Whatever I have to face. When we understand this type of teaching, when we have been initiated into it, it allows us to have a firmer grasp on things like this in John chapter 15 where Jesus says, He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things in Christ which strengthens me because he's the vine. And without him, I'm nothing. Without him, I got nothing. Without him, I can accomplish nothing because it was never about me. It's always been about him. Understanding the providence of God leads us to understand the power of God. And when we understand those two things, here's what we get to rely on. According to Philippians 4, the promises of God. The promises of God. Let's go back to Philippians. Paul says this, starting in verse 18. We've already talked about 14 through 17. They gave us context for what was going on. Here's verse 18. I have received full payment, and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 17 sets the stage for what Paul was just saying. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul, because he understood the providence of God, he knew that his needs would be met. But because he cared about this church in Philippi, he wanted them to experience the great joy of giving, the abundant joy of giving. And so, He was happy to receive the gift from them, the gift that Epaphroditus carried to him in Rome so that he could pay all of his expenses while he was in prison. That just makes me smile all the time. Oh, by the way, you're not only locked up, but the bill's on you. You take care of that. God already had it worked out, but Paul wanted the church in Philippi that had been so faithful to him to experience a deeper, richer blessing. It is the deeper, richer blessing of giving. And here's how Paul laid it out. Did you catch this? He said, you have met this one need for me. Now my God will meet all of your needs. You've met this one need for me. Now my God will meet all of your needs. And the promise of God is that the Lord will do that according to His riches in glory. Now, cool thing is, at no point did Paul say, God will meet all of your greed. He said, I will meet all of your needs. He will meet all of your needs. That's the wonderful multiplication of giving. It is a cool spiritual discipline, an incredibly cool spiritual discipline. So much so that the multiplication of their gift is still growing 2,000 years later. 2,000 years later, the gift of the church in Philippi is still growing and gaining momentum because every person that reads Philippians chapter 4 hears about it and is inspired within the discipline. That's the way the Lord magnifies the gifts that we bring before Him. It is an amazingly cool thing that I wish I could explain to you, but it is way beyond my understanding how the Lord does that. He magnifies those gifts 2,000 years later. That's the kingdom of God. That's how the Lord pulls all this off. Man, alive gives me goosebumps thinking about how God does that. And so now, in Philippians 4, Paul's saying, I want you guys to have that blessing. I want you to know that my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. You don't have to worry. The providence of God has already seen your needs. And because of your faithfulness, God is responding to what you have to do. Wow. Wow. That's the way the Lord does it. The providence of God helps us understand the power of God that we might rely on the promises of God. And this discipline of giving is one of the most tangible ways that we can do that. If you need a testimony for how that works, visit with me or with Tina after church and we'll tell you about a lifetime of giving because we both grew up in homes where our parents taught us what it meant to give to the Lord so long before we knew each other we both had a practice of giving already in place when I got my first job shoveling walks at three years old because dad believed we should work at three years old I'm out shoveling walks had to go home mom changed the diaper go back out and shovel Dad said, now, they paid you 50 cents for that. Five cents of it has to go to the church. That's just the way Dad did it. When we started mowing yards, Dad said, you got paid a dollar for mowing that yard. Ten cents of that goes to the church. That was when I was four. He didn't let me play with power equipment until I got a little older. And on and on and on and on it went. And the same thing was true for Tina when she babysat. And then when she started working at a pharmacy. And every job since... And when we got married, there was never any discussion for us on whether giving would be a part of our budget, whether we were in good times or bad. It didn't matter. There's never been a discussion between the two of us, not one time. And in 30 plus years of marriage has either one of us said, maybe we shouldn't give to the Lord because we're not sure we're going to be able to make it this month. That's never happened. That has never happened. Because we have always trusted the promises of God. And we will tell you, both of us, that God has always met our needs according to His riches and glory. That's the cool thing. And sometimes those needs were met on a very base level. But the best part about that is we remember those moments because that's how God met our needs. And we get to tell the story and the Lord magnifies it. And He continues to do that. So if you need a testimony, you talk to us and we'll give it to you. If you need a guarantee for giving, our elders have a really cool one. Where's Scott Granger? There's Scott. Scott, I hope this is still in place from the elders, so rebuke me if it's not. For years, the elders have said to people that have never experienced the practicality of giving that if you want to try this spiritual discipline, they will guarantee it. They will guarantee it that if you will try it for 90 days and you don't see your needs met according to the riches of the the glory of God, if you don't see the faithfulness of the Lord, they'll return every dime that you've given to the church. Not because they need your money, but they want you to experience it. They want you to see it. Scott, is that still in place? Still in place. So if you need a guarantee, the elders will guarantee it. There you go. Try it for 90 days. See what the Lord does. See how God meets it. And if you need accountability, then you have that as well. One of the things that I absolutely love at Libby Christian Church is the accountability of our finance team. We have a group of people that oversee the finances of this church. Larry Lampton is the the chairman of that team, and he sits right at the tip of the spear of it. And that group of people... Work at this this elder-blessed, elder-given responsibility to them, which really is God-given responsibility to them. They work at it as to the Lord. And there is great accountability. So if you need accountability, you visit with Larry or any one of our finance team members, and you'll have the accountability of what happens to the gift as God magnifies it for years years and years and years and years to come. That's what Paul's talking about the promises of God. Well, we never get there until we understand the providence of God. We never get into the promises of God until we will trust the power of God. But once we do, and we get to rest in the promises of God, then we can say with all boldness, I can do all things in Christ, which strengthens me. Because I know who He is. I know that I'm nothing, but He is everything. And my hope and my faith and my trust is in Him. And this spiritual discipline of giving is just a tangible, practical way of opening up all the others in the promises of God. It's a remarkable thing. Sadly enough, though, I have found that a lot of people give up too early. They give up before they ever understand the providence of God. They give up before they experience the power of God. They give up before they ever trust the promises of God. Don't you give up. Don't you give up. While I was thinking through that, I opened up an email, started out with a text and finished with an email, and it happened to be from one of the joke sources that I follow. And I want to share with you that it isn't really a joke at all. I want to share with you the thought that they sent as the worship team comes, so I can leave you with this. And the real message that I want to leave you with is, don't you walk out too early. Don't you give up. You stay with the Lord. And here's why. A professor stood before his class of 20 senior organic biology students about to hand out the final exam. I want to say that it's been a pleasure teaching you this semester. I know you've all worked extremely hard, and many of you are off to medical school after summer. So that no one gets their GPA messed up because they might have been celebrating a bit too much this week. Anyone who would like to opt out of the final exam today will receive a B for the test. There was much rejoicing in the class as students got up, walked to the front of the class, and took the professor up on his offer. As the last taker left the room, the professor looked out over the handful of remaining students and asked, anyone else? This is your last chance. One final student rose up and opted out of the final. The professor closed the door and took attendance of those students remaining. He said, I'm glad to see you believe in yourselves. You all get A's. Don't walk out too early because God's already given you an A. That's the promises of God. You stay with Him. You stay with Him and you see what happens because the God we serve is all-powerful. In fact, He is the author of divine power and in His love for you, in His providence, He has seen to your life beforehand. Trust it.